That's enough silence. Let's do them one, two, three, clap. Everybody ready? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Three, two, one. I got that confused really because uh, you changed it from one, two, three to three, two, one. <laughs> All right, one more. That's what we call game design. I oh, did that no. on purpose. Oh, do we no. want to try this again? I think we no. do. It's All fine. right. We're going to do fine. a three, two, one clap. Ready? It's yep. fine. It's not. All right. One, two, three. Did everybody mess up again? No. No. Okay. Just, just making sure. Honk. Uh, we've got 400 viewers now. That's good. Cool. That's a good number. Wow, that's a lot of people. Why are so many people? I guess the show got popular. That's a joke. It says we have one viewer. Uh, <laughs> hello, one viewer. Uh, Is that Caitlin? Caitlin was the first person to favorite the tweet, so maybe that's... Uh, oh, tweet Favin. Usually tweet Favin, in my experience, means I'll check this out later. If it's yeah, a link to something. That's probably true. Uh, yeah, this entire thing has just shut my internet down, being cool. on the stream. It's a, we have a, so, well, we had one viewer a second, and the one viewer is the perfect number of viewers for this because this is all about you, the viewer, this particular episode. That's, that was a joke. Like uh, that Time Magazine cover. You, person of the year. You. Yeah. So whoever you are, one viewer, you're the person of the year. I just got a chat message from our one viewer. So now we have three viewers. Uh-oh. Okay, so today's show is all about telling, uh, describing how many viewers we have. No, that's cool. a joke. Uh, this is the Insert Credit Show, episode number 108. Uh, and uh, I'm Tim Rogers. Uh, uh, I'm, I've been on every episode of this show, and I'm hosting this one. Uh, Brandon Sheffield is also here. Say hi. Hi. Yeah, he uh, he has not been on every episode of the show, but that's okay. He's mo- he's been on almost every one of them. Yeah, There's Frank Stefaldi as well. He has been on almost every episode of the show. He's missed a couple more than Brandon has. I don't know why I've been on every episode, uh, and I don't want to promise that I will be on every episode. But uh, when we first uh, decided on this show, the idea was that we would have uh, ten topics presented per show with a six-minute time limit for the discussion of each. Uh, maybe we're going to do that tonight. Maybe we're not. Maybe Heck Yourself is oh, no. uh, a reference to The Departed. I don't know what we're going to do. Hotels.com just sent me a push message. I thought it was a – I don't know how that got through because I thought I had all notifications turned off. Have plans for Labor Day? Make some with this $25 coupon. Maybe I will. I'll do that. Labor Day. Uh, yeah, I don't really I don't celebrate that. I don't know what that means because I just, you know, I'm going to be busy working. Uh, anyway, this is episode number 108, which is a special number for me, as everyone uh, may know if you follow me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is just the numerals 108. So uh, that's... Uh, why, when we first started the show, I said, I want to host episode number 108. And uh, I didn't have any particular plans for that time. And uh, true to form, I still don't. <laughs> so we're going to talk about some video games. Uh, we're going to talk about video games, but we're also going to talk about stuff. I figure this is uh, 
it's as good a time to talk about stuff as any, because sure. that's any time. So 108, 108 has been my internet handle since the very beginning. I have had that number in there. And I first encountered that number as a cool number at age nine when I was reading the Pearl Buck translation of the uh, Chinese historical fiction masterpiece, uh, The Water Margin, which Pearl S. Buck uh, titled All Men Are Brothers. And it has 108 protagonists uh, and quite an excellent literary style. I've just liked that number, and I put it in stuff, and I don't care. Uh, so let's talk about what was your first uh, internet handle? What was like? What's what's the deal with internet handles? Uh, is an alternate question. Yeah, I had a bunch when did of them. You first make... Yeah. I think the first one yes. that I made. I think the first one that I made that I can remember that I stuck with was for eBay. <laughs> uh, yeah, because I needed to get some TurboGrafx games, and that was a good way to do it. And I, <clears throat> being a teen in high school, oh, teens. I, I really liked the music that I listened to and identified with that. So that is why my first handle one that I use on eBay, I don't really care if anybody knows it, is Exodus 666. <laughs> uh, nice. But then I wound up using Exodus as a forum handle for quite a long time after that. I listened to that band a lot in that very specific time when I made that handle. But I also used other handles around the internet, like Disincarnate, which was another band. Uh, I briefly used Riot, which was also a band. And then, with insert credit, I decided that we should all use our real names and should uh, kind of end the trend that was going around at the time of complete ambiguation of self on the internet, especially with video game writing. So that, that's what new games journalism was, was uh, putting your name on it. Yeah, putting your name on it putting and being your yourself stuff. And that's how, what how I. Was that a gross idea? Why did why why was that an idea that people thought was uh, uh, either terrible or great? It's like shouldn't it just kind of be normal to know, use your not? name? Yeah. 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 I mean, the the grand video game journalism tradition was uh, names like Scary Larry, you know. Right. Sushi X. Uh, yeah. Sushi X. Yeah. Sushi X. That's all I got, yeah, but 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 all the Game Pro people had those, those stupid names, um, and, yeah. and I feel like the early internet stuff did as well, but I don't I don't quite remember. Um, so my first handle that I can remember, um, I think it was just one of those looking around the room situations, um, uh-huh. and uh, I was really into, and I guess I still sort of am into, uh, black and white independently made comic books from the 80s. Uh, and my first handle was... I, I'm sure I tried a bunch of other ones before this, but it was it was a character in a comic book named called uh, Cerebus, and the name of the character was Normal Roach, which was uh, a strange parody of another 80s indie comic called Normal Man. So I figured, I guess, that... Uh, a name based on an 80s comic book character that was a parody of another 80s comic book character was uh, 
about as obscure as I could get, and uh, that probably seemed really cool at the time. I, re- I remember you using that. I still, I still use it. I remember that one. Yeah. Yeah, what do you use it for? Uh, I use that, um, well, I guess I'm just going to give this out. I use this on AOL Instant Messenger. Uh, right, that's which, where I remember it from. Which I current, which I still use for uh, one programmer that I talk to sometimes. That's cool. Whoa. Yeah. That still exists? Yep. Still exists. I mean, I'm sure it does. I, I mean, God, I can't remember the last time I used it. I remember uh, uh, I was writing something for Kotaku in like 2008, 2009, and Stephen Totillo was like, oh, you can get at me on a AIM, and he gave me his AIM handle. And I was <laughs> like, whoa, cool. Like, I bet he still uses it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Oh, man. But so what was what other handles did you have? I remember you had some forum handles. From- you had the red eye. Yeah, which is uh, which is a which is a character from the Tick comics. So continuing that tradition, um, and uh, God, what else did I even have? Those are the only ones I can remember. Oh man, Uh, I just remembered that I also used Dead for a while. Just just straight up Dead. Dead, yeah. Wasn't that your MySpace name? Uh, I think it might have been. I think it was listed as your first name on MySpace. It might have been. Oh God, MySpace. I think I yeah. just used my regular name. I remember in my MySpace. Space. And I'm just like, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> I have. I still own. Uh, own. Own is not the right word. I Owned. have kept. I have kept all of. As far as I can remember, there may be one series that's gone, but I've kept all of my uh, AIM and other instant messenger chat logs. Hmm. Yeah. So I could theoretically go back there and see what kinds of emotions I was having in 2006, which is <laughs> ill-advised, I would say. Uh, I, but yeah, I, guess, I don't want to look at that stuff. I guess, though, it sort of can teach you something about yourself a little bit because you have to come to grips with um, the, the continuity of your life. Uh, you know what's really great for that, for accidentally seeing that sort of thing, is, is if uh, you use... Gmail chat and let it log your conversations because uh, sometimes you'll be searching your email for some stuff and instead of giving you email results, it'll give you old chat log results. Uh, yeah. yeah. Which, which often uh, results in, it, if, if not verbally, at least in my brain going, oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a lot of that text is meant to be seen in, a, in the minute, you know, in the moment. Yep. And then it's like you look back at it and you're just like, why did I break the lines so many times? Why did I say, uh, and then line break, yeah, line break. I like that too, line break. Uh, how are you? Line break. What are you doing tomorrow? You know, it's just like, yeah, why couldn't I put that all in one crazy. line? Uh, yeah, so it's like you look at that years later on accident, and you're just like, man. Uh, so I, feel I, like, actually, I feel like that applied to the insert credit style that you had as well. You kind of... Uh, we're, we're, yeah, well, they were, they were full sentences, though. They were not fragments. That's true. <laughs> Man, there was some forum thread about this Kotaku article I wrote that somebody linked me to, and I didn't want to click on it, but I did. And they were like, I read this whole thing, and there's not a single paragraph break, and there's not a single period. There's just no punctuation and no capital letters, and I hate it. And then the next person's like, yeah, I can't understand why people write that way. And there's like, yeah, and then he has like a whole paragraph in capital letters. And I'm like, that, that that's not even like the thing they're linking to had was full of punctuation and 
paragraph breaks and I I'm and you know proper capitalization and grammar and it's like that weirds me out. The internet just weirds me out in general. So I have a uh uh like I wrote this thing recently about my old smartphones that I used to have uh in Japan and one of the email addresses for that was uh, 108 at easyweb.ne.jp and if I ever type that into my Gmail search history, then I see hundreds of emails that I sent myself with photographs or blog post outlines, snippets, just sentences. And I just see that and I just remember all that stuff and it's just like really weird. Uh, but you were saying you were the red eye, which was also red eye was the columnist at Edge. Right, which know. I didn't know at the time, but also when I when I when I started using a handle I had no ambitions of doing anything at all with video games, so it wouldn't have mattered even if I had known. It's interesting that that ties into that was they got people, various people to write under that handle and uh yeah. it was uh it was that's it was the anonymity of video game magazines the it was not a person's name. It was that. So that's funny to me. Uh, not really sure what that has to do with anything else. Uh, I, re- I remember actually having a little little discussion with some Edge people because they were at the time adamant about saying we, like a unified voice, this is what we believe. And I The royal we, yeah. And mm-hmm. I said that that was not at all possible to be correct uh, because you can't all agree on one thing about a subjective medium unless you're some kind of weird hive mind or unless your opinions are uh, shaved down into a generic form. And I don't think Edge was that way. I think they just wanted to use that word, and I, I but I disagree with it. It just felt royal, I guess. Mm-hmm. But what were you going to say, Tim? Oh, I mean, that's that's all I was going to say. Okay. Uh, I mean, just that was interesting that they didn't have a... They didn't want to even have a personality or a name either, but they didn't have handles, just no bylines. It was a review. Who wrote it? Edge wrote it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, okay, so I guess continuing on the topic of Internet handles, uh, we make jokes. I mean, we, as in just, you know, the royal we... Uh, the the we of gamers right so we uh, always joke about like what an internet handle for a video game person is like Sephiroth four twenty or a yeah you know weed weed x cloud whatever like what are uh what are what are some uh, some gamer internet handles that you've seen that are good that you can think of off the top of your head that are actually are there any good, good ones. Yeah, well, I think mine is pretty good. Uh, it's also the the, it, but it's a secret one. Um, oh yeah, it's uh, it's it's the the secret word that I made up that I use for for certain things because I know it won't be taken. I I didn't mean to use it for my PSN, but I couldn't think of anything else, so I I wound up doing it. But uh, I think ones that are just like something that you made up. That's just it sounds like a word, but it's not a word. I think those are pretty good. Um, I haven't seen a whole lot in a while, but I tend to I like when people put something out there that you can learn something about them from. 
Like, there's this guy on, on my old Neo Geo Pocket Forums who is uh, Sign of Zeta. So it's, yeah. obvious, it's obvious that guy likes Gundam. And you know one thing about that guy before you start talking to him. And uh, you know maybe he likes some, some pretty obscure things about Gundam. So maybe he's got a particular type of personality. Uh, I like that kind of stuff, I guess. Um, it's more it's it's more interesting than something like I Love Tales or whatever, um, which tells you something but not really. But if it were, um, I don't know, like... Um, Midnight Zone or something, and you'd be like, "Oh, this person thinks about Sonic in a in a way that they wanted to create a zone for themselves or something." <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm not saying Midnight Zone is a great handle, but I think you see what I'm trying to get Midnight toward. Midnight Zone. Midnight what zone. would be a good handle that would make you want to hang out with somebody uh, who had a had made up a Sonic Zone? What kind of like made up Sonic Zone handle? would make you excited about wanting to talk to a person. Auto zone. <laughs> Auto you gotta, zone. You gotta get in that zone. Yeah. Mm, hmm. Auto parts. Yeah. Midnight zone's not bad. Yeah, midnight uh, zone's alright. Midnight hmm. zone. It's hard to say, because there have been a lot of zones in our time. Starlight zone. I Can might have... Scrap. Green zone, spring yard zone. zone. Yeah. Like, if, uh, I don't know, if there, I would, I can't place one right now, but if there were a good Dreams Come True song that could be a zone, mm. then I'd be like, ah. You like the real Sonic. Yeah, that might do it. Uh. Walking around uh, Venice Beach, California, last year, there was a sign that said Tsunami Danger Zone. And there was <laughs> a picture of a wave on it. And I thought, oh, that was cool. Because, uh, I mean, that's kind of awesome. Tsunami Danger Zone. And it was like, really looking tsunami here. Like, look out. So I thought that was uh, kind of a neat zone to see. Yeah, that'd be a good uh, zone. Yeah. That zone. Uh, so, uh, so still on yeah, the topic of forum, forum handles. Uh, what I yeah. really love is is when you're at a place that's like you know, like a retro video game fan forum or oh, something. Yeah. Like, and and all the forum handles are like retro game freak, like I heart old games, and it's like yeah, we know you're here. Like is that is that really all you've got? Like like is that your entire identity? Yeah, you know, uh, we we started a forum, the for Necrosoft Games, at forum.necrosoftgames.com, and I have enjoyed people's forum handles who've been signing up. Some people are using their Twitter handles and stuff like at Amazing, mm-hmm. but but there are other forum handles that I've kind of enjoyed. There's one guy who I actually saw at PAX named James with a question mark. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Oh, that's and nice. yeah, and there's one named Nana, which is uh, I don't understand what it's a reference to, but um, their, their Twitter name is Nana versus Nana, and sounds like something anyway. And uh, or it, maybe it's that isn't there that that Nana manga? 
Nana is also a manga, yeah. Yeah, I'm guessing it's, it's also Japanese for seven. Yeah, I'm guessing it's uh, something to do with that. But I've been enjoying the names that people have been coming up with on there, and uh, all monsters just registered. So I guess peop- I feel like monsters. people are getting a little more adventurous than they used to be with their or or not adventurous, a little more refined. With their well, yeah. I, I think it might be because like you don't have to commit to that being your one name everywhere anymore. Yeah. yeah. So they can take things that were like taken elsewhere or that they just kind of feel like experimenting with. Yeah. Like I think yeah. I think Luminance Bloom is a cool name. Uh, yeah. Uh Super Taiyaki is on here. That's a good one. There are a whole lot of, um, I think, bots that have signed up for this forum that are all some kind of weird amalgam. Whatever whatever bot found this forum takes a full name and then adds three letters after it or before it that kind of look real. So it's hard for me to be like, I'm going to block all these people because I, I can't really tell if Albert Aleph is a human or not. Or Thomas Schum. Thomas Schum might be a real one. They will, uh, those bots will wait. They will sit in hiding and then suddenly appear someday. And Do post you guys? Niagara Pills post. Do you guys remember? Suddenly. Do you guys remember when I. Uh, when not I when on our insert credit forums there was a guy named Fire, or, Fire, or yeah. and nobody Fire. could no one could determine whether Fire was a bot or a real person because Fire I would Fire. yeah Fire would say things like uh you know joining KOF real fright with relation shoes <laughs> mm-hmm. and what does it mean? We never found out, but Fire had a whole lot to say sometimes. Would start posts, would reply to posts, and they would be vaguely related to what we were talking about. And, um, you know, Fire... Fire would never really talk about people, though, like, specifically. He might, like, sort of reference something somebody said, but, yeah, Fire was mysterious. Yeah. Well, yeah, Fire was in Hong Kong, was that the uh, That was... That was the legend. Um, I don't. I did, was the Fire did legend. occasionally answer questions. It seemed. Yeah. But it was it was so vague-ish that it was hard to be sure. I w- I, w- I hoped to someday meet Fire. Fire was the number one forum denizen that I would like to meet. I met a whole bunch of other people, but I never met Fire. How many people would you estimate you met? Uh, from the instant credit forums or from forums in general? Uh, well, forums in general. You talk about the uh, uh, this Neo Geo Pocket forum that yeah. used to go on. I actually don't know what that forum is. So, where did where did you meet Frank? Uh, I met Frank through his friend, who is now also my friend, who I stayed with at PAX, Ian Adams. Who was the host of the last episode of Instant Credit. Who was the host of the last episode of Instant Credit, who 
I met on the Neo Geo Pocket forum because he said that Frank should write a thing for insert credit, and I said no. <laughs> because Why did you say no? I said no because it seemed like this guy was going to promote his website on my website. I was like, heck to that. Wait, Frank was Frank was going to promote his website on insert credit? He was going to... What was he going to write? He Well, it was that I should write about lost levels and then I should have Frank write about stuff. And I was like, man. So I didn't do it. But then I saw Frank at the Classic Gaming Expo in Las Vegas and he was wearing a pirate hat and a cape. And when I saw him, he was jumping through the air. <laughs> Which is pretty uncharacteristic of Frank, I would say, but it was happening at the time. <laughs> I don't remember why I was jumping in the air at that particular moment, uh, unfortunately. What yeah. what year was this? I don't 2003? know. 2003? It was, it was, yes, it was July, like, 5th, 2003. Yeah, okay, 2003. Yeah, that would have been right. And then I decided that maybe Frank was cool. Oh, maybe it was 2004, because the website was already around, and I launched it July 2003. No, it would have to be 2003. Yeah, okay, so it was, like, yeah, it was the day or the day after I launched it, because I launched it at the show. Yeah, yeah. I think it was kind of your launch party time. Yeah. That was a strange time. I didn't sleep that weekend. Well, I did, but, like, three hours. So that's probably why I was jumping. That could be. You You also had two tables. You were selling... Things on one, and then you were displaying like uh, <laughs> Sun Man or whatever. Yeah, so uh, I couldn't have a booth without selling stuff for some reason. So I just found some guy who had old NES games he was selling, and was like, "I'll sell these for you." Um, I just wanted to uh, promote the website and sell some zines that I'd made, uh, which I guess counts as selling, but not enough for them. But really, what I wanted to do was. Uh, set up two or three old TVs that I just borrowed from people because I lived in Vegas and uh, display these old Nintendo games that had never come out that no one had ever seen before because I thought that'd be a weird, fun thing to do. Yeah, and, uh, and it was. Some people enjoyed that. I liked it. So yeah. when, why did you, uh, you want to start this website, Frank? What was, when, like, what was the whole the Lost Levels thing? Yeah. Where did that uh, come from? I don't you'd, really... You'd, you'd just done it, and then you were at the Classic Gaming yeah. Expo to promote it. Yeah. So you wanted people to read it, obviously. So Obviously. Um, it's, yeah. I, I don't know the deep-down answer to that. Like, like what, what part of me, you know, was driven to doing that specific thing. All I know is that uh, when I was in high school, I'd, I'd kind of stopped being interested in video games. Um, but rediscovered them sort of when I got my first computer and also the internet in, in, uh, in 1998. And when I did that, I discovered uh, emulation um, and was like, oh, cool, I can, I can play these games I used to play when I was a kid and revisit them. And then I started sort of getting in- interested in, uh, well, what games you know did I not play when I was a kid? What are those like? And uh, as I sort of, sort of started digging deeper into stuff, I don't know. I think I have this natural inclination to uh, want the things that that I'm not supposed to have, or something. And you know, I started thinking about like, well, what about the games that I can't download? 
what are those? What 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 mysteries are out there still left to be solved? And I started getting really interested in the games that never came out, um, which is what Lost Levels was for anyone listening who doesn't uh, know my old website. Uh, and so I don't know. I just started like figuring out what happened to that stuff. Uh, turned out a lot of that stuff went into collectors' hands who uh, sort of sat on them and didn't allow anyone to play with them. And I, I thought that was a really crappy thing to do. And I thought uh, there, it would be, we'd, we'd be living in a much better world if instead of uh, collectors having one-of-a-kind video games, if uh, instead everyone had that same one-of-a-kind video game and we could sort of learn from it and uh, piece together our own history through that. So I started, I, I, I got together a group of sort of like-minded people that I'd been hanging out with on the internet anyway, and Lost Levels essentially was, uh, instead of one person paying $1,000 for an unreleased game and having it all to themselves, what if 10 of us spent $100 and everyone had it? And uh, and what if instead of just having this file that people downloaded and, and never thought about, uh, what if I tracked down the people who made these weird things and asked them uh, why they made it and what happened? So that was the idea in 2003, and when we launched, it was mostly successful, but uh, then uh, the reality of, of, of uh, having a job kicked in, and uh, that didn't go too far. But, you know, we did a bunch of stuff like that over the last, uh, what, 13 years? Or 12 years? Yeah, what, the, re- what's the reason that... The reason that Oscar 120% is uh, Oscar 120% limit over is available freely as a patch on the internet is because because Vince gave me well he had a copy of it he had the file that he had gotten somewhere from like some Usenet group or something he had the patch file but the patch file which he had then given to me was in some arcane compression format and also used a weird very specific um, disk burner thing and so all of that had to be unraveled and there was quite a bit more to be unraveled in order to make the patch usable and available for all humans so I actually went on Frank's forum and found a guy named the programming ace and he, he got that together and that's actually why that game is now available for people to play. True to his name. Yes. Yeah, so I, I mean, really, it, it was a way of, of bringing together a community of people like me who just care about saving this stuff as as their main hobby and interest in life, I guess. Uh, and um, it just seemed easier to focus on one specific thing, which was games that never came out, instead of trying to save all of everything. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, uh, yeah, it's very interesting to think about games that never came out. Uh, and right now you're really big on preserving games, right? That's mm-hmm. like, that's kind of your thing, right? Yeah. That's yeah. The game preservation thing. So, uh, yeah. I guess you did an interview about that on, uh, wasn't that the Huffington Post about that and the Mega Man and. Oh, yeah, and the, the most reason. recent one was uh, was Vice, if you saw that one. Oh, that might Vice. be the one you're thinking of. Yeah, Vice. Vice is still around, yeah. What kind Vice of a... Uh, stuff. Yeah, I guess that's their whole uh, their whole mission statement is uh, they want to do cool stuff, right? I mean, yeah. 
Yeah. So why not? Why not do cool stuff? Uh, so Brandon, why did you want to start a video game website? Like, around yeah. what point did you think that was a thing? Because this was all this was pre MySpace, pre Facebook. Well, MySpace was around, but uh, let's face yeah, I guess it, you know. I guess not everybody knows the story, which is you didn't want to start a live journal for yeah. it. You I wanted, wanted an actual website. Yeah, what, is, so what is the story there? It was that I had written for some small, small-time websites in order to kind of get into E3, and also because I just I liked video games and I wanted to write about them. I was in that stage that a lot of uh, game journalists, as they're known, tend to stay in, which is I like games. I want to do something about it. So I was I was that way from age 17, and I wrote some reviews for some little tiny websites, such as one called Hero Graphics, which does not exist anymore. Hero Graphics. Yeah, H I E R O, like Hero Graphics, yeah. uh, or Hiro Graphics. Hiro Graphics. Yeah, Hiro. That's actually. Why have I never heard of that website? That's kind of it's like well, more it's, interesting. It's it's gone There's now. A far more interesting website name than. Uh, than a lot of video yeah. game websites. That guy, heard. that guy also did um, homebrew stuff for the Jaguar. He <laughs> he had two planned games. One of which was like it was trying to do something like Stranglehold before that existed. He wanted to do a John Woo style jump across the table with both of your guns blazing oh, no. video game for the Jaguar. But he never he never managed it, and I I don't know where he is now. In fact, that man. But so I wrote for a few sites like that, and also one called the Next Level, and I the hyphen next level dot the hyphen next level dot com, and I remember that I wrote a preview because I I went to E3 and I wrote a preview of something like maybe Stretch Panic or maybe something else. And and they said that my writing was terrible and we can't allow Wait, this kind of... Uh, whoever the editor-in-chief was at the time, I, I actually... The, the hyphen next level? Yeah. should have told him his URL was terrible. I should have. But what I did tell him was the first, the top three articles written by you on your website have a typo in the first sentence. I quit. <laughs> uh, Wait, did you tell him that, or did you just want to tell him that? No, I told him that. Oh, I told nice. him that because I was impetuous. And so oh, I I quit that thing, and then, but I hold them no ill will. They barely exist. Um, and Wait, they then, barely exist now, as in they exist now? I think or? they do exist a little bit. Wow. Um, and so I lived on the same in the same dorm floor. No, actually, he was on the first floor. I was on the third. I lived in the same dorm as Vincent Diamante, who a an aggressively Christian man introduced the two of us because we were the two people on the floor. I mean, in the dorm that had Dreamcasts prior to their American release. <laughs> we had brought them with us to college, and he's like, "You two could trade games with each other." And I was like, "Oh man." So we did, and it turned out he had written some things for some tiny 
things as well for some tiny places, and we were like, we should start a video game website. And then in April, well, I guess in March of 2001, uh, I guess we started in 2001, um, we... Needed to get into E3 somehow, and so we started the website, and we figured we had to have a month of content first, so they'd know that we weren't just making a website to get into E3, which we were. And so we made that website, but then, you know, after we made it, and after we went to E3, and I started being able to interview people and do some real things, that's when the the ethos started to come together where I was like, well, we made this website. We did a lot of work. We put a lot of work into it. It was to get into E3, but now that we're yeah. here and now that people are actually reading it, like we got we got legitimate news sites sourcing our stuff on insert credit from the very first E3 because we had been doing some things that other people weren't doing or talking to people that others weren't talking to. And so then I thought, man, we should... We should do it. We should do it all the way. And so that summer, I started posting on forums where I thought there might be like-minded individuals, uh, such yeah. as the first time I went to the GIA, which I thought was Thegia. Thegia. <laughs> um, I thought it was Thegia.com. I went there for mm-hmm. the very first time to post in the forums saying, hey, I have heard that people on this website might be similar to what we're trying to do. Does anyone want to come write with us? And mostly they were like, get out, noob. You've never been to this website before. Uh, but Boom. but then Tim Rogers replied to that email and sent yeah. a 25,000-word uh, review of Super Mario Brothers 3. That's not, that's not what happened. What did you I send? I sent you a 4,000... Sent you a four thousand word review of Landstalker, in which yeah. I said it Hell was yeah. better than every Zelda game ever, and uh, I believe Vincent Diamante had some complaints because he didn't think it was better than every Zelda game ever, <laughs> and he told you that it was a pretty good spirited piece of writing. Yeah. And but that maybe you should ask me to write something else because you didn't read it. He read it first. Yeah, he read it first. And, uh, I did read it, and I was, uh, I thought that you were all bluster at the time. All uh, bluster. All bluster. And so yeah. I, I was like, well, let's have him write something else. But then yeah. it turned out that so, not, not a whole lot of people wanted to write with us. <laughs> and so... Yeah. I was like, man, of all the people that applied... You're asking this, people to write for free. Yeah. So it's like... Of all the people that applied... Well, yeah. a lot of people did that back then, but... Um, <laughs> you were a trendsetter for modern editors. That's right. Um, Boom. But, uh, yeah, of all the people that applied, of which there were like eight, you had the best writing by far, uh, obviously. And so that's how that started. And then... You invited Eric John because of his Adirac uh, blog on. Oh, he was a uh, he was journal. on Live Journal. He was one yeah. of my Live Journal buddies. Yeah. 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 And you 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 by then I trusted your opinion and I was like, all right, have him write something. And then he wrote something. 
and then that was kind of that was kind of the core the core group. We got other people later, especially doing news like Chazumaru, who did not use his real name. But Chazumaru uh, is not a real name. No. 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 On yeah, the forums, guess, his text was always in orange. I remember that. It's true. He loved orange, that fella. So I guess that's that's the story of that website. Yeah, I guess so, huh? I still like my Landstalker review. That was a good game. Yeah. Still think did, it. I, I, did you ever did post it anywhere? I don't remember. Did you no, wind up putting no. it on Instagram? You could put it up there. No, I, I remember it because you wrote about uh, you wrote about the uh, trying to jump on the fastest chicken as kind of some sort of parable of futility in uh, not parable, but metaphor yeah. for you for futility in in life. As, as seen through trying to do that endlessly in a video game that you liked and wanted to get more out of. Yeah. It's just uh, you want to hang out in that village with that extremely fast chicken. There's yeah. a village that a voodoo witch doctor has enchanted, and uh, the chicken is running real fast because he's really excited. And uh, <laughs> it's very hard to jump on that chicken, but I can do it. Yeah. And uh, Well, I could do it. I don't know if I can do it now, but uh, I told Con uh, Naito at Tokyo Game Show, I can jump on that chicken. And he was like, nice. And then he, his recommendation to me when I said I could jump on that chicken was, you should play Pachinko. That's <laughs> right. To, Tom Naito is an interesting guy. Yeah, very interesting that, fellow. that year where we met him, uh, they, had a, they had a booth for their Landstalker PSP game that they never did. Yeah, that and never got released, really, yeah. It really seemed like things were... Moving in a an upward direction for that guy, and then just nothing. He's he's not been heard from since, as far as I can tell, in the video Pachinko, game world. It's on the beach. I don't know what he does. Uh, I haven't looked at yeah, his blog in a couple of years. But I don't know. But machines. Yeah. So another one question I wanted to ask uh, was, I don't know. We all have been making video games and working with video games for sort of a long time, but. Uh, mm-hmm. Before that, we were going to E3, you know, like just going yeah. to. We just, me and Brandon, just went to PAX the other day, and uh, we just got back from it, and we were like hanging out with Cliffy B at one point. Uh, we were, uh, I don't know, we've got, we we just know people, and the people are all different people now. A lot of them younger than us, yeah. you know, famous people. Uh, so I guess the big question is. You know, before we were among these people and older than them, uh, there were times we went to these things, these game conventions, and we met people. What was that? What's your first memory of meeting a video game person that you uh, sort of were just like, whoa, I'm meeting this guy. That's so cool. I feel like Frank would either have a lot of these stories or none of them which is kind of an interesting, <laughs> which is why I wanted to ask the question. Because I feel like Frank's like, he'd be like, whoa, that's the guy who made Crystal Castles or whatever. Or he would just be like... Ron Vontinger. Yeah, I've met him. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or you would just be like, oh, cool, that's the guy who made Crystal Castles. Like, I yeah. can't tell if there was ever a period when Frank was like, instead of just knowing who a guy was off the top of his head uh, uh, and being like, oh, cool, there's that guy, would, would have been like, oh, my God, there's that guy. So it's like, I yeah. guess this is kind of a question first for Frank. Um, yeah, I'm. I've never been very good at like 
really being impressed by people. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, so nice. I, I, I've never, I've never really met someone and been like, "Whoa, it's that guy." Uh, the, the, I think, I think the first video game person I talked to, um, that like I had some respect for. Uh, this is back when E3 had panels. You remember that? That yeah. lasted like two oh, years. Yeah. Um, and I think the panel was about comedy writing in games, and uh, Tim Schafer was on it. And uh, Psychonauts had either just come out or was just about to. Um, and I think that was the first person I talked to where I was like, cool, I met that guy that I really like. Um, I don't remember what we talked about. I think it was about... Uh, I think we talked about uh, Disneyland. I think we talked about the Pirates of the Caribbean ride at Disneyland and how uh, how uh, a game narrative is kind of like being on a Disneyland ride, except you can get out and walk around sometimes, too. Um, you know, like a good one, anyway. Um, and then I remember when I moved to San Francisco in 2005, like the, the second day I was there, I ran into him at a GameStop. So I was like, yep, I just kind of know that Whoa. guy now. Yeah. What was he doing at a GameStop? Buying Mario Kart DS. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. That's, that's interesting. The one in the that's mission. Good. I think it was uh, 24th in mission, something like that. Same yeah, the 24th in mission GameStop. I know that yeah. one. Yeah. What Gears of War 2 there a couple months ago for $2. Because I wanted another copy of Gears of War 2. You happened to be in the mission? Yeah, yeah it happened. I was there. Uh, we, uh, we at Action Button Entertainment made a a hole for a golf course that's located oh, at 24th. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so there's like an indoor miniature golf course. We made a hole. It's a virtual hole. Check it out if you're in the neighborhood, anybody. But, yeah, I was on the way back from, you know, doing the regular diagnostic meetup and uh, just making sure everything's working, kick the tires, you know. And then I'm like, I'm going to go to that game stop. And then I just popped in there, popped into the stop. But yeah, so Tim Schafer was at that GameStop. Why was he at the one in the Mission? Was his office near there at that time? Did um, they move there? What? I think that I remember asking him about it. I don't remember if it was then or later. And he says that uh, I think what he said was that like the one close to his house didn't have it, so he just took the Bart to that one. Wow, he really wanted Mario Kart. He took the Bart yeah. to get the cart. Yeah. Well, it's right next. It's right next to the GameStop, and I don't know where he was living at the time. He might have been living like near there. Um, Interesting. I, I was trying to think about this, and I I don't have I don't have situations where I was like, "Whoa, this guy!" Either, but I definitely have yeah. situations where, in retrospect, I think, "Whoa, I talked to that guy like like nothing." Yeah, um, and that I I go through oh, waves. Felt cool with for that. being so chill. Like I I mean I don't know if that's precisely it, but you know, um, Yu Suzuki, who made Virtua Fighter and Outrun and and Afterburner and Space Harrier and Shenmue happen. That guy knows my name and has had conversations that he can remember with me, and as a person. Nice who grew up strongly influenced by those games, that is something that leaves an impression. I think the first time 
that that sort of thing happened was when I I was working at Game Developer Magazine, and I had only been working there for a month, and I convinced the then editor-in-chief to let me go to Tokyo Game Show because I could speak Japanese. And he's like, all right, go for it. Get on the plane. And I was like, oh, man, this is happening right now. And so I did, and uh, Yuji Naka was there, and he was talking about... He had um, Rub Rabbits, or what was the first one called? Uh, well, here it was... Still the magic X X X Y. Yeah, real real catchy title there, uh, Yuji. Yeah. Good job. <laughs> yeah. But that's not what so, it was in Japan. Yeah, it was something else. I, don't I remember. remember it. I remember the project name was called Project Rub, and then yeah. for project some reason yeah. that's what it was Holy called Lord. in Europe. Like the actual commercial game yeah. in Europe is called Project Rub. Yeah. Oh, fun that's fact. Uh, uh, Fatal Frame was called Project Zero. Uh, and they actually released it in England as Project Zero. Yeah. I stopped doing that. But guys, yeah. It's yeah. like they're, they're, it's in it's in the game magazines. It's like, oh, it's in Edge. We can't change the name. We've got to keep it. It's like that. <laughs> it's like, oh, you can't change it. It's, okay. it's game traction under its code name. But yeah, you met Yuji Naka. Yes, well, went... real, real quick, though, the Japanese name, which I couldn't remember for Field of Magic, uh, uh, Tim would have to pronounce it, or you, I guess, but but the translation is I Would Die For You, which I remember being a really cool name for uh, yeah. Yeah. at the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, right, so Yuji Naka was not giving interviews. He... Uh, cor- because Sega was not going to let him give interviews because mm-hmm. he hadn't led a project in quite some time. They wanted to wait to see how things worked out with this game before they were going to let him talk. And I saw him standing near his booth on the show floor, and I was like, I don't need uh, PR people to let me do this. I'm just going to go talk to him. So I just went and interviewed yeah. him in Japanese on the show floor with my little voice recorder. And then I posted it up, <clears throat> and Sega of America was like, so uh, how'd you get this interview? Was it Sega of Europe? Was it Sega <laughs> of Japan? Who did you talk to? Mm-hmm. What happened? And uh, they, I had mailed them previously to ask if I could talk to him, and they said no. And so I was like, well, if you don't want to help me, I'm not going to help you. And I never told them what happened. Because uh, I didn't. I also didn't want them to cotton on to the fact that I could just snipe their developers whenever I wanted. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, you just I, saw him and talked to him, and he didn't know that the PR didn't want him to talk to you. That's right. And he just talked to you. Yeah, he just talked to me. So that was that was when I was like, yeah, I, I can just, uh, I can just do whatever I want. Um, and it, it kind of immediately shattered the illusions that that the greats were hidden behind some kind of wall. And and I realized yeah. very quickly and continue to realize that the grand majority of the pillars of our video game industry from the beginning until now are alive and accessible, and you yep. can probably talk to them if you figure out uh, a natural way to do it. And that's... That's a pretty interesting and unique thing because, you know, a bunch of my friends work in the film industry and they, like, one of my one of my friends just put out a movie called Cop Car that stars Kevin Bacon. But he, oh, 
him having worked with Kevin Bacon doesn't mean that he can just send an email to anybody. Right. Uh, but, but, oh, on exactly. the, but on the other hand, you know, I mean, like you got you got channels and people to go through before you can get to that. But uh, on the flip side, when we were trying to figure out something in the early days of Oh Dear, and we were trying to figure out something with the road, and I was like, why do, why can't we do it kind of how they did it in Road Rash too? And so the programmer at the time was like, well, I don't really know how they did that. So I looked up on Moby Games who is the programmer of Road Rash 2 and uh, just through the thread of it figured out which one would have been primarily responsible for that and and then uh, added him on Facebook and then within 30 minutes was having a phone conversation with him about how he did it. Like That's, I, that's a cool thing about the video game industry, I would say. Yeah, and it is still like that. You know, like you say they're still alive, and that's mostly true. Um, but there aren't that many video game people that are actually inaccessible uh, yeah. throughout video game history. Like, I think the only one that I've actually tried and just could not get to because there's too many channels was Howard Lincoln. But uh, that's probably because he, like, manages the Seattle Mariners, and that's, that's its own yeah. thing now. Yeah. But anyone else that I've ever tried to talk to, uh, you know, I've either just gotten turned down by PR and then just gave up or, you know, I just got him. Um, well, yeah, it's like it, the, you couldn't get uh, Howard Lincoln because he has been sucked up by one of those industries exactly. that doesn't let you talk to people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember I called the Mariners, like, PR person, and yeah. and, and I was, you know, I said, you know, I'd like to talk to Mr. Lincoln, for an article I'm writing, and she's like, is it about Nintendo? <laughs> oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it is. Let me give you the pitch, and it was a pretty good pitch. Uh, but And she's like, all right, I got to pass this up, but we'll, we'll let you know, and I got a polite note. Wait, which, What's which that? article was that? Which article was that? That was one that I wrote for 1UP, uh, for the NES anniversary that was uh, just about what Nintendo of America had to do to, to get the NES on store shelves in 1985 when, when video game consoles that. were poison. Um, and, yeah, that was... Actually, that was a situation for me where... That was a very much screw PR situation for me, um, sort of similar to yours, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, where it's like I wanted to talk to these guys who were at Nintendo still who were there at the time, you know, for this article that was nothing but positive about Nintendo, because it's just this history article about this cool thing they did. And, uh, you know, I went through official PR channels and and was turned down. Uh, so instead, I went to uh, former Nintendo employees and said, help, and they gave me their direct email addresses, and it all worked out. Yeah. The Tim, I actually, I'm actually curious to know... Uh, first, your answer to that last question, but second, what made you decide to join Insert Credit in 2001? What, me? Yeah, you, or 2002, I guess it was. Maybe it was 2001. Well, <laughs> oh, my answer to the to the meeting famous video game people thing? Yeah. Well, I guess, God, what was the first example? I mean, meeting... Uh, 
Meeting Yuji Naka at Tokyo Game Show is uh, something I sort of vividly remember because you were talking to him about Field of Magic XXXY, and uh, the next Tokyo Game Show we went to, he was working on his Tap the Box. Uh, no, like several Tokyo Game Shows later. Yeah. Uh, he was working on his uh, game where you don't have to touch the controller. Let's tap. Let's tap or tap tap. It's time to tap, as I suggested he call it. Uh, and, uh, we, we just talked to him about that because he was at a booth and he's like, yeah, I wanted to make a game where you don't have to touch the controller. And I remember Field of Magic XXXY being pitched by Sega as the Sonic the Hedgehog creator's new game. Yeah. And it's like, uh, it's like kind of a, I mean, it was like kind of a baked in sense of disappointment. It's like we, we kind of knew that we were not going to. You know, it's not Sonic the Hedgehog. It's not close to it. So it's like meeting him as a person and being like, yeah, this guy made Sonic. I felt kind of greasy thinking that, you know? Kind of thinking, oh, this is the guy who made Sonic, and he's got a new game, but who cares? He's the guy who made Sonic. That rules. And then uh, a couple years later, having just sort of somehow matured, and uh, some things happened between those two meetings that I will explain in a moment. But, uh, like... Uh, it's being like the next time I meet him, he's like, yeah, I just wanted to make a game where you don't have to touch the controller. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. You know, I like that this guy did that. It's like somehow I've, I've just come to like just weird half-baked stuff. Uh, and the next day at Tokyo Game Show, I was standing around by myself uh, wearing some straw hat. And Yuji Naka just comes up, and he's like, hey, how you doing? And I'm like, I'm all right. And he's like, uh, what's, is there, he's like, I've got like an hour free, like, what's cool? And I'm like, I don't know, there's some cool stuff. And I just walked around Tokyo Game Show with uh, Yuji Naka for like, <laughs> God, it was like two hours, three hours. We're just walking around and talking about stuff. And he's like, gives me his card. He's like, you know, give me a call. We'll get some drinks or whatever. I'm like, that's weird. Like, that really is just a person. Yeah. And the other time, the really, really, like... Okay, so there's, like, two sort of crushingly large things happened very close together. Uh, one of which was... a uh, I don't know. I grew up with the Roman Catholic family, you know. Uh, a whole lot of... Man, I don't know how to say this without feeling... Uh, starting to feel real sad, but just a lot of... A lot of that Catholic guilt you hear about, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know if either of you have any familiarity or no, I've heard probably about it. not firsthand experience. You've no. heard about it, but it's I, like I, I'm I'm Italian, yeah, yep. I, yeah. Yeah, so you you're familiar with it. Yep. Uh, it's like I don't know when when they they're like your parents are like talking to you when you're like five years old and you're like I want to make movies when I grow up, I want to be like Steven Spielberg. And your mom's just like, you can't do that. You gotta, you gotta go, you gotta have a lot of money to do that. You idiot. You, you've gotta, you gotta go to school for that. You know, come on. You can't, people just, not just anybody can do that stuff. And I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. So just growing up with that my whole life, uh, you know, just kind of being somewhat mercilessly smacked down every time you try to make a thing. It's having uh, your family laugh at you, and your brothers grow up, and they're laughing at you, and you know, like write a short story, and 
you get it in the school magazine and uh, my brother flips open the magazine and he's flipping through it and you know I had like two I had three short stories in the, the literary quarterly at Indiana University uh, and I mean that was kind of a big deal like that was like 14,000 words of my writing and uh, my brother's flipping through there and you know he dropped out of college and he like he's there's a poem and he like reads half of the poem out loud and he's just laughing at it and he goes look at that you know there's like a typo in here. They didn't even spell this word right. And he's like, and he just puts it down. He's like, yeah, so he's, I'm, I'm like, yeah, it's kind of cool that they picked my story to go in there. He's like, yeah, they picked your story, but they, they obviously didn't read this line of this poem because they would have fixed it. So, yeah, whatever, man. I'm like, man, that's that's just dark stuff, you know? And, I mean, I get hate mails on the Internet all the time, uh, just every day. There's two or three of them. Somebody stumbles on something I read and sends me something mean and or something I wrote and sends me something mean and hateful and just, I mean, it's just, it's dark stuff usually. And uh, yesterday I had my neighbor come up and yell at me uh, while I was leaving my house. Uh, he actually said some things that's sort of like, well, I should probably call the police on this guy because he just came up and started yelling at me. He was obviously having a bad day. So, you know, you learn to think, oh, People are just, you know, they, everybody's having a bad day. You're on the road. Somebody's driving erratically, you know. You're like, what's what's with this guy in this car? Why is he in such a hurry? And it's like, either he's a jerk or he's got diarrhea. You know, you don't you don't know, right? So my neighbor's either a jerk or he's got diarrhea or he's constipated. Same thing goes with everybody on the internet. Same thing goes with my brother uh, dissing my literary my literature accomplishments. Uh, so. To answer both of your questions at the same time, uh, I'd been writing stuff. I'd been seriously writing stuff and uh, written some novels and short stories. And I had an agent, and I was getting a novel published. And I was just uh, kind of sitting on my hands waiting to publish that stuff. And I was hesitant to send fiction to literary magazines because my agent had these connections with some of them and he's like just uh when it's time you know we can send some excerpts of this novel don't don't publish too much other stuff and i thought i would write some stuff about stuff i liked so i wrote some reviews for pitchfork of music i wrote various things for various magazines i wrote reviews of music and i thought i would try writing about video games and i read this video game forum and i thought i'll uh i'll send this thing you know, I was reading, it was the Game Forums Forum, which was what appeared after the GIA collapse. Uh. So, uh, but uh, you were probably on the GIA forums as well, because it was like a razor's edge of time between right. one of them disappearing and the other one appearing. So uh, I encountered that post on that forum after I was back in the U.S. From I'd been in Japan for a year, and I was back in the U.S. Because I just... I was in Japan waiting to publish my novel and then ended up never getting published. And that's okay because uh, I don't like it anymore anyway, or maybe I do, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I wrote a little thing. Like, I'm going to try critiquing a video game with the skills that I learned in film criticism class in college. So that's why I did that, and I thought it seemed like as low-profile a place as any, I... Uh, didn't want to like send anything to the New Yorker or whatever. Uh, I actually had sent a 
essay I wrote to the New Yorker and got a rejection letter, and then I never sent them anything for 10 years after that. But, uh, uh, yeah, so then I wrote this. So, in, you know, fast forward a little bit. 2003, I wrote a thing about Jack 2 for insert credit, the game, the sequel to Jack and Daxter. And I got some replies. I got some emails from people who had read it. And it was all the development team at Naughty Dog had read this thing I wrote about the Jack 2 demo. Uh, about the level design and the difficulty, and I just had made a bunch of jokes. And they sent me the game when it was out, and, uh, yeah, and then I wrote a review of that, and I just was getting emails from people who were, like, leads on that game, and they're like, hey, you know, what do you think about this? We're doing this for Jack 3, and I'm just talking to them, and it's like, oh, I guess I'm just talking to these people and they're not considering me some kid or some guy who writes about video games. They're asking me, like, game design questions in my email inbox, and I'm like, whoa, uh, I guess that's all it takes to be a real video game person. Because you don't, you know, it's not, you know, you don't need a whole bunch of money or an education, or you don't need to be a super special person. You just kind of do the stuff and talk to people and chill out. And then the other crucially huge thing that happened at the slightly before that was I met Hideo Kojima because I pitched uh, an article to Wired Magazine, a feature about Metal Gear Solid 3. And I met Hideo Kojima and sat down with him in his office uh, for like four hours just talking about game design. And uh, it's like, oh, this is just a normal guy that I'm talking to. And the the impression was hammered in even harder. Because, I mean, I was really impressed that I was getting to sit down with Hideo Kojima in a room for a couple hours. Like, he booked, like, half his day for it. And uh, just because I'd sent pitches to his PR guy and they were all, uh, I don't know, Kojima was very excited by the pitches. So I'm just talking to him, and I'm, like, asking about books he's reading. And he's like, I read Angels and Demons by Dan Brown. Uh, it was really cool. <laughs> And I, w- I was like, oh, man, I thought we were going to talk about cool, weird, postmodern literature or whatever. And I'm like, but that's okay. You know, he's still a, a cool dude. So that was my uh, whoa, cool, I'm meeting a video game guy experience was that particular one right there. Yeah, I thought it might be. Uh, yeah. The end. I just remembered my actual first, like, oh, like the video game people are just people thing moment. Um, was my first uh, paid interview with someone um, was when I just started writing for Gama Sutra, and I'd started a column. Um, what did we call it? It was called Playing Catch-Up. Cat- no, oh, yeah, it was called catch-up. Playing Catch-Up, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and it was mm-hmm. just like, what are these people who used to do games that we haven't heard of? Like, what have they been up to all these years? Um which is still actually a really cool column, yeah. come to think of it. Um, and the first person I, I wanted to interview, I don't remember if it was me or Simon Carlos who came up with this, was Al Lowe, the guy who did Leisure Suit Larry. Um, and so I, you know, he had a, he had his website that was like Al's Joke website. You know, you could sign up for emails and get daily jokes from from Uncle Al. <laughs> you know? And and uh, so I'd emailed him and I kind of set up this interview. Um, that 
it was weird. I had just quit my job to start writing about video games. And this is like one of the first things I was doing. And I happened to be going to Comic Con that week. Um, and, you know, I got an email from Allo with his phone number to call him at. And, and I had this weird moment of just, you know, putting him in my contacts on my crappy cell phone at the time, like my Nokia, you know, black and white thing, uh, typing in Allo and then his home phone number and going, like, huh. <laughs> like, I, I played this guy's games for hours. Like, like, a fairly significant portion of my life was spent with this person's work. And I'm just going to kind of call his house and see what he's been up to for years. And like, it's nothing. And that's very strange. And then I, 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 I talked to him on the phone, uh, during a small break at comic con watching stormtroopers walk by talking, talking to a guy about leash to Larry. So that was, uh, leash suit Larry, huh? Yeah, that's the one. I got. I've got Metal Gear. You've got Leisure Suit Larry. <laughs> that's, uh, I kind of uh, wish I had Leisure Suit Larry instead. Uh, I like. So speaking of having somebody's phone number just in your in your phone, it's yeah, like, it's, like it's, 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 it's always weird to me. Like still. Yeah, I had Hideo Kojima's phone number in my phone. Yeah. I had Goichi Suda's. I had a. Who else is? I had a bunch of phone numbers in my phone, and I was like, yeah, I got these people's phone numbers. I actually had that recently. Just a few months ago, I put somebody's phone number in my phone, and I was like, <laughs> and the person's, <laughs> it is actually related to video games. Uh, uh, we, uh, Brandon, you know Mark Flurry, the uh, I do. guy making Thumper, right? Cool guy. Mm-hmm. Very cool game. Uh, uh, extremely, extremely, extremely cool game that I am refusing to play at any conventions so that I can play it uh, all alone in my house with these ugly headphones on. Uh so yeah, there was a lightning bolt show in Oakland, and I wanted to go. And uh, I know Mark Flurry, and uh, Mark Flurry knows uh, Brian Gibson, the bassist of Lightning Bolt, who's doing the sound for Thumper. And Mark Flurry knows and enjoys my writing, uh, so that's how I've known him. And I just like direct messaged him on Twitter. I'm like, hey, that lightning bolt show is sold out. Could you just could I get in there, you know? And he's like, oh, yeah, here's Brian Gibson's phone number. Just call him up. And I'm like, whoa, I know that guy. <laughs> and I put my phone number in my phone, and I'm like, <laughs> and I give him a call, and he's like, oh, yeah. I'm like, oh, this is Tim Rogers. He's like, yeah, I know you. I know your stuff. And I'm like, whoa. So there's that. That was pretty cool. Yeah. He's like, yeah, just come on over. I'm just sitting around here, and I just go over there. I'm like, I've been to, like, 20 lightning bolt shows over the years, Uh uh, went and saw them in Chicago in like 1998. You know, it's like my deep history is uh, liking those guys. So that's cool that uh, I've got that guy's number in my phone, and I text him sometimes, and he replies. Everyone's so, just a human cool being, as it turns out. Yeah, it rules. And also, I uh, once messaged David Yao, vocalist of the Jesus Lizard, on Facebook, and I said, "Hey." do you want to record the voices of alien freaks that are being killed in my video game uh, about a ziggurat? And he replied with, immediately replied with, yeah. And then uh, several years later, after not uh, taking him up on that, I said, hey, do you want to record the voices of shrieking, dying uh, kangaroos in my third-person shooter, Kangarooin, uh, R-O-O-I-N, apostrophe, uh, 
where you're shooting kangaroos and they're just blowing up into bloody chunks. And he replied immediately with, yeah. And I didn't make that game either. And then I said, do you want to do the human voices of shrieking, dying, uh, blood exploding whales in my game Moby Dick 2 or The Whale 2? And he replied in about 10 minutes with, yeah. So I could definitely get that guy to do the voices of screaming blood geyser exploding chunky dying animals in video games uh, if I just were to we were to make one of those so yeah, the those are two interaction button games by the, the way the lesson is to uh, oh, go ahead yeah oh uh, yeah, yeah. Moby Dick 2 or the whale 2 oh yeah yeah I think maybe you, know, what, you, want, you want to talk maybe there's a little lag sorry uh, there's a little bit of the lag but I was yeah. just gonna say the le- the lesson is you should ask ask the person that you want yeah. to do a thing, because a lot of people ask someone who was influenced by that thing. But when I wanted the music from the guy who did Streets of Rage three, I asked him on Twitter, and he said okay. And when I wanted to uh, get someone who does music like the '70s Italian horror film composer greats. I initially asked on Twitter, who does music like this? And I got a huge number of responses. And then I was like, but I wonder what the actual guy is doing. And so I mailed one of those actual guys who I will talk about someday later. And he was like, why the heck not? So now that guy's doing music for a game of mine, and he made cool stuff before I was born. Yeah, that's the thing about people who uh, uh, peaked a long time ago is uh, usually they uh, don't keep getting work. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's some of that kind of, I guess, ageism or something in this yeah. in this industry. But these guys, man, um, Kawashima, Streets of Rage 3, man, he, he, took, he was rusty when it comes to doing video game music of this aggressive nature, but once he got back up to speed, he did some fantastic stuff. And what the Kawashima stuff? Yeah, it was really yeah, good. It, good it, stuff. it took several several tries to get the first track going in the right direction, but after that, he started sending me things where I was like, "Man, this is actual music that I would listen to just by myself out of the context of a video game." And I listened to the Streets of Rage 3 soundtrack uh, all the way through just the other day in my hotel room, just sitting there, just listening to it. So, yeah, that guy's cool. Yeah. I, uh, I it's, it's very easy to judge people by uh, if they think that the Streets of Rage 3 soundtrack is somehow bad. Yeah. <laughs> That's just a very so easy, instant, like, okay, you're you're over there now. Yeah. You're you're not a person that I care to engage with on any kind of deep level. I'm not saying I dislike you, but uh, we're, yeah. we're never we're never gonna really connect. I'm not gonna have it's a. It's really good, interesting music. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not like a huge fan of it. I'm not like yeah, this is my favorite stuff. But it's just like if you don't think that's at least interesting, like I don't understand you. I, I'll never be able to relate to you. Well, they they've probably been told that Streets of Rage 2 was the pinnacle of the series because that was the prevailing opinion in 1994. Right. And 
uh, they they just held on to that, and they're like, it's a shame that Streets of Rage 3 has a less interesting combat system than Streets of Rage 2, and it's like, man, <laughs> what are you it talking doesn't. about? I man, I, I was looking at some some website the other day that was like top 10 most disappointing video game sequels of all time. And Streets of Rage 3 was like number three. <laughs> and it's like, man, it's really sad because people just kind of parrot the opinions that they hear yeah. and all that. Uh, so I just want to announce that uh, Kangarooin already has a volunteer uh, to be the lead programmer. Uh, so looks like Kangarooin might get made. Cool. Moby Dick 2 or The Whale 2. We don't have anyone for that yet, so... Uh, let me know. Whales that just kind of explode, I think, is pretty cool. Uh, I think we are just about out of time. Mm. So I think a good exercise would be for me to read the questions that I actually wrote and then didn't. Uh, uh, I was going to... Let's uh, Maybe we'll do this later. So uh, I was going to talk <laughs> about the games, too. Uh, I'm, I'm going to skip those three because they're actually pretty interesting. Uh uh, so I was going to talk about the game Suicoden, which is based on the water margin. Uh, yeah, I, I figured you would get to that from there. I played that game. It had 108 characters. Uh, they weren't all playable characters. Some of them were just people who populate your town. Uh, I was going to be like, let's talk about games with a whole bunch of characters. So, you know, Chrono Cross is 45 characters. You know, that, maybe that's not that good. Now, the other one was going to be uh, Chinese stuff in video games. You know what oh I mean? yeah, I do. Yeah, so it's yeah. There's not a whole lot of Chinese stuff in games. I mean, there's Dynasty Warriors. Right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. <clears throat> there are plenty but, of uh, Three Kingdoms oriented things, and uh, plenty, but you could yeah. argue that a company like IGS, uh, International mm-hmm. Game Systems, who were like the Neo Geo of um, Taiwan, they put a lot of Chinese stuff in there just because, like, they based all of their character designs on historical figures or historical costumes, which were um, kind of more influenced by Chinese history than anything else. Yeah. And, I mean, there's okay, there's also a Jackie Chan game, but that's not Chinese. Jackie but Chan's that's actually more Kung interesting. Yeah, yeah, Jackie Chan's action Kung Fu. There's Jackie Chan's stunt master. Yeah, uh, there's also the Kung Fu on... On the TurboGrafx PC Engine, which mm-hmm. is basically oh, yeah. here's Bruce Lee in the biggest sprite you've ever seen. A dragon the Bruce Lee story. Known, known almost more appropriately as China Warrior. In China Warrior, yeah. Yes. Man, yeah, I think interpretations of Chinese stuff in video games is an interesting topic. Let's, uh, let's publicly mention that so that maybe we'll get around to it later and people will be like, I remember when they talked about wanting to talk about that. Uh, Buddhist references in games. Uh, that, that's a long, long that's a, topic. That's a long one, and and related to a topic that I want to talk about, which was the particular brand of horror games that were for kids, and there were many made of in the NES, uh, the Famicom PC Engine era. Tons of mm-hmm. things about being in hell, going to hell, that were entirely the Japanese vision of hell, and I didn't understand that until I was much older. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, that's like a pretty wide topic. Uh, I would want to talk about the game Demon's Sword, 
which has a bunch of interesting ones. Asherah's Wrath is a that's got just a huge density of that stuff in it. Yeah. Well, there's that. Was it Namco had that platform game where you're a, a guy in hell with like you know a mask on with a sword? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? It was an arcade game, and I think they had a PC Engine version also. Um, I'm not remembering that one with a mask, but there's there's definitely the one. There was one that I just played that I don't remember the name of that also came out for the NES in a different version, and he was a little kid, and he was in hell, and it was Namco, and it was an arcade game first. Oh, I remember that one, and, too. Okay. Yeah, and, and you could pray to deities in mm-hmm. order to get additional powers and do other things, and it had six endings, depending on what you did. And that game, it, there's just, like, so much arcane weirdness in that game. It's really fantastic. And I don't remember what yeah. it's called. Huh? So that reminds yeah, me of then. a topic I'd like to talk about sometime, um, which is, uh, what is worth remembering and talking about when it comes to Namco? Because uh, if, yeah. if you look through it, there's really not that much. It's true. When I, played, when, I played that, <laughs> when I played that game, I was like, wow, this is a Namco game that's worth remembering. Yeah. <laughs> but I actually had that exact same thought because I was... I was like, man, most of their games from around this era. And then I, I thought a little more. I was like, and now <laughs> are not really things that I... Like, how did they keep going? I don't know. Yeah, they're all fine. You know, yeah. they, they, they didn't do many bad games, but there's not... I don't know. You can't really place your finger on Namco and be like, yeah, it's a Namco style, you know? Yeah, it's true. What yeah, there's no Namco have? style. Another topic was... Uh, well, I just thought of one, which is... Uh, Arcade ports that are far more interesting than their originals, oh, yeah. than the than the original arcade version. For yeah. example, Taito's Ninja Warriors, uh, the console port for that is like so much cooler than the arcade yeah. game. Well, and uh, and and it, and it reminds me of one of my favorite eras in video games, which is, I guess, that era, like the NES sort of era, where they would port arcade games but make them like more like console games, like Bionic Commando became mm-hmm. its own full-fledged adventure, you know. Um, there's other examples like that, too, but, you know, where they were just kind of add RPG elements for basically no reason. Yeah. Uh, just because that's the home version, and that's what home games are. Yeah. So, yeah. Home, ga- home games are about putting in long hours, not about re- dying repeatedly, so you right. have to do that. Exactly. Yeah. The topic. All right. Cool. Did we... Uh, is Tim frozen? I think Tim's frozen. Cool. So, I guess that means it's the end. Because <laughs> <laughs> Tim is just gone. Uh, well, cool. Uh, we should let him record the outro since he yeah. started it. Uh, thanks to all of you watching live. Uh, none of what I say right now will probably be in the recording, so this is just for you guys. Um. Keep following us on Twitter or whatever. Facebook. Yeah, and Facebook and thanks. And also, I just want to say uh, thanks to everybody that comes up at shows and things and says, hey, I like the insert credit show or I've been reading the website for a bunch of years because it's nice and reminds me that we're not doing this just for nothing. Uh, I mean, that's literally the only thing we get out of this. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. So... so uh, so thanks, thanks for continuing to listen, and it continues to surprise me how many people 
there are at conferences that are like, hey, I recognize your voice because I hear it on my podcast. And I'm like, yeah. oh, man, that's crazy. So that's pretty cool. I guess we will um, see you later. Yeah, see you next week probably. Next week, yeah. we got to figure that out because Tim and I will be in Korea. But oh, um, Interesting. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, we'll figure it out. And we'll talk to y'all in a bit, and we'll, yeah. I'm going to go ahead and stop that Audacity recording. Me too. And then I'm going to hang up. So thanks, everybody. Good night. Bye. Oh, looks like I'm alone. Well, that's interesting. Well, everyone, I guess... uh, I just got an email from Brandon. Let me tell everybody what it says. Uh, Brandon says, since you were unfortunately disconnected somehow, you can record an outro. We stopped the thing and are exporting our audio. Well, I suppose I should say something. I wanted to get those headphones off. God. Those headphones really hurt the head. So, everyone, that's it. That's all I've got. I had questions. I didn't really ask any of them. That's good, though. I just want to let everybody know this is the last episode of the Insert Credit Show in history. I'm sorry. No, that's a joke. We'll do more of them. Uh, as always, uh, listen to uh, this show when you feel like it, when it makes you uh, feel good, when you want to feel good. Uh, come on by and check us out. We're on iTunes. We're on Facebook. We're here on YouTube every week if you watch it like this. Uh, next week's show is going to be a little different. Oh, it's going to be a lot different because uh, I'm going to be in Japan. No, Korea. I'm going to be in Korea and then Japan. So if you want to hang out in Korea, well, maybe we can work something out. If you want to hang out in Japan, maybe we can work something out. But if you're going to be in Birmingham, England, between uh, the 23rd and the 28th, I'll be there, and God knows I won't know what to do. Follow me on Twitter. I'm at 108. This is episode 108. Brandon's at Necrosofty. Frank's at Frank's Faldi. Just, you know, if you do that sort of thing, go on, do it. It's very strange to be looking at myself, just like looking right at myself instead of uh, the other guys. I feel weird looking at myself. I guess I came in here wearing a jacket and then I sat here the whole time wearing a jacket. I feel kind of weird about that now. My lip is chapped. I don't like looking at myself. I guess I'll stop. See everybody later.